Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Larry Houston, who was a storyboard artist on both the original Ninja Turtles cartoon and on the 2003 one, correct? Yes. So one of the few people who worked on more than one of the shows, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, when I first worked, when I first got the call to work on it, uh, the company was called uh, Marikami Wolf in Los Angeles, in, in North Hollywood, I guess you could call it. And uh, I knew friends who were working at there and they said, hey, we're doing a show. You want to work on it? And it's like, yeah, sure. I did some storyboards on it. And it just went from there. You know, I had known about the Ninja Turtles comic book. And when I saw the uh, TV show version, I went, oh, this is kind of different. <laughs> this is uh, more kid friendly. It's like, OK, I could go with this. And they gave us the parameters of how to play with it. You know, they basically uh, as long as you stayed within reason. Uh, for children's television, uh, they just uh, have fun. Just uh, take, you know, take what the script has and just play with it and, and just uh, make it more fun, make it more, you know, rambunctious. You know, it's like four kids with, with uh, ninja toys running around the city. And it's like, okay. And uh, so we had a lot of freedom as storyboard artists to, uh, you could take it, you could, you could either just follow the script or you could just take it and and enhance it and make it even more fun, and that's always been my, um, you know, my default is that, you know, I want to take something and make it into something that, you know, if I was nine years old or eight years old watching the show, if I can make the little kid inside of me excited about what I'm drawing, I figure it'll translate on screen to the viewer later on, and so I've always tried to do that in whatever I'm working on to just have fun with it you know it's not just a job it's you know you having a chance to draw something and and uh and and you know pass on that type of same enthusiasm you had when you were a kid on to the next generation and so i just you know it's a lot of fun turtles you're built i mean just to give the audience an idea like if you go to this man's imdb page it is every cartoon worth watching in the past 30 years <laughs> really a lot of like everything we like ghostbusters x-men almost everything marvel from the 80s through the 90s am i wrong like yeah i got i worked on almost every adventure show from the 80s and 90s i was pretty lucky that i got you know i got oh, yeah. to work on this and this and this and this and it was like i was uh yeah pretty pretty blessed to be in the right place at the right time on a lot of shows how did you get in the marvel door before getting into turtles <laughs> Um, there was, um, um, excuse me, Uh, there was a a director, his name was Art Fatello, and, um, Marvel was doing a syndicated Spider-Man. Most people don't know about the first, not, most people know about Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but before that, there was a syndicated Spider-Man, and, uh, they were doing 26 half hours. And uh, they needed an artist to to fill out, you know, they needed someone to fit to finish those episodes, the last thirteen. So I got hired along with Hank Tucker and some other guys to finish out the the last thirteen. And so uh, they they knew my my art my uh, comic book background when I was working at Filmation Studios. So he was I got um, uh, I mean this is one of the things about working in in animation and maybe in other industries um you know i got a recommendation from a friend say hey look i know this guy named larry you know he's a good guy and 
you know, come down and show them, show them your storyboards, which I did. And I got hired the same day to, to work on the show. And, uh, you know, having, having friends or having, uh, col- I should say colleagues, having colleagues that can recommend you from one, one to one, to someone who doesn't even know you. Um, that's a excellent way to get in the door. And after you get in the door, you got to prove yourself, but sure. at least you get, you get that initial, uh, um, introduction that helps you to, you know, continue on in the business to become a, uh, um, a professional that actually gets paid, you know, you get paid, uh, you get paid to, to do the job, you get paid to do it on time, especially if you do it on time, then your reputation gets better and better over the years. And so I've always been someone who's tried to, you know, do the, whatever I'm working on, try and make it the best I can. But the main thing in our business is don't be late. Sure. <laughs> you have yeah. to be on time. <laughs> so if it said they need it by Friday at, you know, at noon, okay, you try noon or earlier, I drop it off. Sure. You know, and deadlines uh, are very I, motivating. I know as a writer, like, uh, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> you need a deadline to make sure you get anything done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. That's probably the, the, you know, being on time, being able to work well with others, um, even if you weren't the best artist, if you had those first two qualities, you could stay employed, sure. you know, uh, and uh, that help. It helps if you if you're good at what you're drawing, but also those those two other two are very necessary to for continuous employment, I guess you could say. You know, going from all those Marvel shows, how did Turtles differ? in in like from those i don't know from like x-men and spider-man and all that what was different about turtles versus those i'm curious uh well turtles yeah turtles happened before like the x-men back in the 90s so this happened in the 80s and um what was different about that the turtles back then in the 80s you gotta syndication was just starting uh because everything before then was all saturday morning flat left to right uh no um what we would think of as normal action adventure shows. You couldn't hit anybody. You couldn't do anything. It was very bland. And so when you got the turtles come on the air, I mean, the the predecessor was He-Man. He-Man broke open the doors to syndication Mm. and then the the turtles came after it. But He-Man's kind of, kind of opened the doors to uh, uh, GI Joe Transformers, all the syndicated shows. Turtles was one of them. Um, Oh, I, I just remembered. You just made. I just remembered. Um, the turtles actually, my, from what someone told me, the guys who who represented the turtles, if not Eastman and Laird, because I, I wasn't there, but I was told that they actually came to Marvel first to actually see if they could pitch to try and get the turtles done through Marvel Productions. But they were like, they had such a full slate of almost any toy that Hasbro was making was being turned into a, a TV show, Glow Friends and Transformers, um, Robotics, uh, and Humanoids. It was like we had three we had the three separate buildings to house to take care of all of that uh production. When the turtle guys came and they just turned them down basically. It's like we have no more room for anything else. And so they gave them a recommendation, you know, uh, well, you know, Marikami Wolf would be a good place to try. You know, so they sent them on to Marikami Wolf, and then you know, you know, 
then everything came together with there because they were a lot smaller studio and um, they were willing to work. You know, they made their deal, whatever it is. And that's how I, that was something I just I, <laughs> I just remembered. That was a little anecdotal. I think the um, story is too like that. And like, I feel like, I've, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'd heard that like <laughs> they went to Marvel first. Marvel said no. Then once they became the biggest thing in the world, Marvel came, offered to buy them and Eastman and Laird told them no. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> that sounds, oh man, that, that sounds like a good story. Because yeah, once they become big enough, you know, it's like, uh, well, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't need you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'll have to ask him that because the last time I saw uh, Eastman was, uh, well, actually it was a couple of weeks ago. I missed Oh wow. But if I had known this, I would have asked him about that story because I don't remember it that vividly. Sure. Uh I shout, yeah. I'll, I'll, if I if we run across each other at another convention, it was a Rocket Con down in San Diego this I think it was last week, week and a half, something like that. I'll have to ask oh, him that. Have you gotten to know him a little bit? I, I've I've gotten to meet him a handful of times. He's always been super gracious and nice and yeah, uh I, the previous time I saw him was at a convention in Indio, California. And we were chit-chatting and talking about old times back in when it, when it, everything got started. Um, yeah, nice guy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. This time, this last time he came down, um, I mean, he was like a machine signing autographs, oh, autographs, yeah. autographs. <laughs> People get lined around the block to see him, too. It's like uh, uh, there's a convention. I'm in New York. There's a convention in New Hampshire called Granite Con, which is basically just a turtle con. It's all turtle people. And right. like. From the, the moment the door is open till well after the close, because Eastman won't like leave people on the line. He'll see everybody through. Like right. it's just like hundred people in line all the time, constant. So. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Because he had a he had that kind of line down in uh, San Diego this last pass at Rocket Con. So I didn't get a chance to sneak in there and say, "Hey, how you doing?" It's like, nope, nope. <laughs> he had a line. Sure, and yeah. I, I had a line too, so it was like. We missed each other that time. Um, so you were saying you got a little bit of freedom or some a, a level of freedom with the turtles. Were there also restrictions? Like one of the things that we kind of laugh about now with the turtles is like Leonardo can't really use his sword. Raphael can't stab anybody. Like were you right. given those rules? Like hey, they can only use their weapons to cut down chandeliers and shit like that. Like what was the yeah. rule of you? That's pretty much the rule back in the 80s for almost all cartoon shows mm. is that you couldn't really do that type of because of the demographics you they were trying to sell the toys to, sure. you know, nine and 12 years old or six to 12 years old, something like that. Um, the pretty much that was a standard that you couldn't have direct direct combat unless they were fighting a robot or something. Then they could whack away at them. And so, yeah, so it's pretty much the rule for almost everything back then. Um, a lot of robots. From the foot soldiers, the sentinels, you draw yes. robot violence, which is fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, especially like on the X-Men, you got a guy with claws and it's like he couldn't do anything. If there you wasn't a sentinel, they, they can't use them, no. <laughs> and um, it, whenever he took on an oppo opponent, like Sabretooth was like a bigger version of Wolverine. Sure. Um, I had to do some careful choreography so it looked like they were fighting. But there was no stabbing. It's more like a big wrestling match, you know, right. and growling, rah, 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 kind of kind of stuff. Uh, with you know, with with turtles, you know, the nunchucks and stuff. It was uh, 
you just have to be creative. Sure. With creating the 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 fun the fun uh action without you know crossing the rule because then you know if you did draw that they just take it out. Well so what's easier? Is it easier like is it easier to get around Wolverine like X-Men's a serious show, right? So like right. Could, was it easy? Was it hard to get around Wolverine versus Sabretooth and not show violence, or like turtles where they could open a fire hydrant and spray somebody? Like, what was what was better for you? What was more fun? Uh, probably more fun was the turtles because the okay. turtles, it was more uh, fun action. So sure. you, yeah, you could just okay, how can I make this cool and fun if I was five, seven years old, and just figure out okay. The writer wrote this kind of sequence, but I can I can take it and, and add to it and, and and increase the comedy, the humor, and action. You know, pick a, first pick a nice dramatic angle so it looks cool, and then figure out another way to take the what the writer called for, and then just you know kick it up a couple of notches to make it more fun. Um, so it was that was the challenge for me is like make it dynamic but also make it uh fun. Sure. And yeah, and you you know. Obviously, yeah, you couldn't stab anybody. You couldn't, I mean, the original comic book, no problem. You know, they could take whack people, and you know, it was very uh, dark. Were you and, a fan uh, of the comic book? Because you're a comic book guy. Were you a fan yeah. of the original Eastman Laird books? Uh, I saw the books, and I I liked the first issue. You know, because I saw what it was. You know, mm -hmm. they they were doing Ronan. They were doing a little rift on Daredevil with the canister that yeah. made him blind and stuff like that. Um. It was kind of it was at the time. I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. This is kind of a a fun riff on everything. And it just, you know, the name when the name's like, what the hell? What the teenager? <laughs> it was a mouthful. Um, but it was fun. And uh, I thought, I guess a lot of us thought it would just remain like a a, a cult comic book just within the comic book. Just people in the comic book industry would know about it. Yeah. But uh, but uh, you know, it, it blew up. It's funny. I've talked to a few friends about this. Now, like we've kind of speculated why, like, because Turtles worked worked really well as that gritty, serious thing, but then it worked even better as the the goofy cartoon, yeah. um, which is more the version I. That's the version I grew up on. I kind of have more love for that than I do even the the Mirage stuff. And I think yeah. we like the name Tur Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a goofy as hell name. Like, <laughs> like I, yes. I grew up on it. So you don't think about it as a fan, right? Because it was, but like that's a goof. That's a weird collection of words. To yes. Title. <laughs> <laughs> yes. At the time when you read it, as when I when it came out, I was like, "What the hell is that?" Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Okay. Um, let's see what this is all about. Yeah. But um, you know, the one thing that's that I'm glad the two creators were willing to do is allow them to do like a 180 flip from the serious to the more yeah. kid friendly version. Because there are other people who like, I think like Aardvark, I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, uh, um, Dave, oh. Dave Simmons. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They offered that type of thing for him and he just wouldn't do it. And I think that, you know, as long as you have your comic book version, that's your what you feel in your heart. That's your version. Yeah. You have a comic book and you have a TV version, but you still have your own. There shouldn't be any problem with, with you know, having two versions of, of your idea. But in like in his case, he didn't want to do it. So I think he passed on a really good deal if they if he had sure. allowed them to do that. But you know, that was his choice. 
Yeah, and in some ways, I I mean, I certainly respect it either way, right? But it's like, yeah, there's Cerebus, right? Cerebus, that's Cerebus, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's even the turtle crossover too. But like, I mean, I know only I only know Cerebus because he crossed over with the turtle comic once. And had he not done that, I would not know Cerebus. To be perfectly honest with you, like, so like the awareness of the brand goes. Even like Osagi Ojimbo, I mean, Stan Sakai's been doing that for so many years and it's beautiful work. But yeah. I, I, uh, my entryway into that was Turtles because you yeah. crossed Turtles a few times. So, like, yeah. it's it's tough, like, like to kind of sell your baby a little bit so they can be this goofy version. And, right. like, yeah, it's 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 a tough line to cross. I mean, Turtles yeah. kind of is the best case example because there's still gritty turtle stuff. They did Last Ronin last year and all this other like dark, gritty stuff that is still. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you can keep the version that you feel is close to what you wanted it to be. Yeah. As long as it, it, it still exists, you know, if you can tolerate, okay, we're, we're going to now we're going to offer this to a different demographics. Um, as long as you're willing to accept that, that dichotomy, it's like, okay, it works. And God, they made tons and tons of money from that. You know, where you could, once you get that money, you can keep doing all your gritty stuff <laughs> forever. Yeah, based upon the money you made over here. The um, how many years did you? We were trying to figure this out. You were in the first miniseries, which is the first five episodes. Yes, you were there for a little while after that, right? Yes, I worked you... on. I worked on the next four seasons. What it is is that I was working full time at Marvel Productions on GI Joe, Transformers, Spider Man's Amazing Friends. You know, almost all all of that stuff in humanoids and stuff. And then I would pick up uh, freelance work from Marikami Wolf. So I work storyboards in the daytime, storyboards at nighttime. Busy dude. Uh, <laughs> I was 25 years old, full of energy. I could burn the candle at both ends. You know, that's when you have, you have, you have, you're fully charged, man. There's no way in hell I could do that anymore. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I need eight hours of sleep. I, <laughs> back then, I didn't need any, you know. I Who was, did you work with at, 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 at Marikami Wolf Swenson? Um, I think his name was uh, one of the guys was Elliot Darrow. Okay, who was that? One of the one of uh, one of the uh, directors on okay. the Turtles. Um, that's there are other names I can't pull them up right now, but Elliot's the first one I can remember that I dealt with all the time on the series. Did you ever work with like the writers at all, or was that like too many steps disconnected? Like I'm curious. Like, did you ever work with David Wise, for example? Uh, no, I never. Okay. I never dealt one on one with the writers. I just you know, they'd hand me the scripts and then, oh, okay, this is David Wise. Okay, got one of his sure. scripts. Okay. They go through it and um, most scripts were broken down into three acts. You have uh, act one, act two, act three. I tried to, I'd like to, I tried to get like act three because that's where all the action would take place, you know, ah, flipping sure. and fighting and stuff. You know, act one was basically. I'm simplifying, but Act One's basically setting up the drama. Sure. Act Two is like continuing, continuing the story, but without, you know, it it would end with a, a cliffhanger or something. Sure. And Act Three would be the resolution of everything. And so I like I like Act Three, so I could just have some fun with it. Now, how did the if you don't mind taking us a little bit through the steps? So I mean, like, the script was written, and then it would go to what the director, and the director would give you the storyboards, or how like how did, how does all that work? Uh, usually, the um, the scripts written, given to the director. He 
he would take this he would take it and hand it to his his uh background person and prop person and character design person mm. so that uh they would design all the new characters they would design whatever new props we needed like cars pedestrians and the background person would design all the new you know the bad guys headquarters where they're going to go that kind of thing um and once they got you know in like i would do i would give those people like maybe a week to complete that what i just said and mm. then i call in the board guys i go through and break down the script okay and i'm going to give artist a act one artist two act two you know and act three and i give them the script give them all of that material and then they'd run with that and they would create a storyboard uh let's see on average i think this they gave us four weeks to draw it maybe three weeks my my memory's fuzzy right now sure and uh so you know we we'd come back and give each person would give the director about oh maybe 110 pages of drawn of page of, of the storyboard for each act so right. the director would have to go through 300 pages to, to see how well the show looks how well we followed the script and if you wanted to change stuff um and in most cases like me i tried to hire people that if i got the script if i got the boards if i had to just do minimal changes you know hookups or whatever those are the people I use more and more because sure, if yeah, you got yeah. if you if you hired an artist and he didn't do anything that looked good or he made a lot of mistakes, you'd have to sit down and put, uh, you know, the old post-its sure. on on every panel, redraw it, hand it off to your staff artist to restage it, redraw it, or hand if you had time you'd hand it back to them. Say, okay, here's your fixes. Take care of this. But, but. At the same time you're doing that, you have another script coming in. Oh yeah, slow down the work. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, anything anything that impeded that that uh, that flow just drove you nuts because you'd have to you're you're constantly there's a script always coming through, and then there's storyboards coming in on top of that, and you want storyboards that work really well so you don't have to spend time fixing it, and and um, that's I'm I'm simplifying it, but that's basically the process that. Uh, all the directors have to had to deal with on their shows. Once they have that, is that when it goes overseas, or is there another step in there I'm missing? I'm oh, curious. a couple more. Uh, once the boards are done, you hand you hand it off. To, once the board is done, uh, you hand it off to a timing director. Okay. The timing director has a copy of the audio track of how the actor said the lines, and then he'll go through like if if there's a scene with the turtles where he comes over and picks up an object. That's going to take three seconds. Sure. Three seconds, four frames. He, the, the animation director, figures out the timing for the shot. And then he'll go through the entire storyboard, all three acts, figure out how, how much time that is. And overseas, you're, you're usually, you, you're, you, the contract with the overseas companies is that they will animate X amount of minutes with maybe, a half maybe with another minute uh over for mistakes or whatever but once the once the timing director adds it all up if let's say you're putting out a 23 22 minute show but you got your show is actually 24 minutes 
Now you have to go back and cut two minutes out of the show mm. before you can ship it overseas. And so you got to go back into the show. Okay, let me see. What can I what can I lose and keep the story working? And so that that happens when you you basically recorded too much or you drew too much and you got to cut it down and then it ships overseas. So that first five, do you have any memories from those first five, like the little mini series part of it? Like what you, any thoughts or feelings or memorable scenes or anything like that? <sighs> I wish I did. It's been too long. It's almost, it might all meld together. Yeah. It's like almost 30, 40 years ago. So it's, it's, like, it's kind of a, kind of a blur, you know, you know, if I, if I had the tapes and if I could, if I watched the, the first miniseries visually, I, I remember stuff more visually than, than anything else. I could say, Oh sure. yeah, that's my section. Oh yeah. I did that. Oh yeah. I, I'd recognize stuff more if I could see it again, but I, I don't, did it ever come out on DVD or tape or anything? The, the first miniseries. Yeah. The mini, yeah. It's, it's, it's billed as season one. Now that first five episodes is it, it, oh. before it was picked up. Because for those who don't know, like it was, uh, there was five episodes. That was the mini series. That was the one to promote the toys, and then it got picked up um, as a series. But like it could have just been those first five episodes, and that would have been it. But it was right. Those so they're sort of separate stories. Like even there's even an art change from that first five episodes to the thing. It's a little softened, and there's the little lines in the noses. Like some of the art changes from one to the right, other. right. Um, that's pretty much what happened. With not uh with with um G.I. Joe, because G.I. Joe had a mini they did a mini series, five episodes. The ratings were good. I think we did two more mini series, you know, before um Mattel would commit to mm. doing sixty-five episodes. So they're they were a little bit more cautious, but they they would do that and then they would go out the set the toy sales or you know, spike. So it did it again, spike the third time. Okay. You know, they were very cautious, but once they got it, then they, 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 they said, okay, we're going to put 65 episodes and each, you know, 65 episodes, I think ballpark each episode might've been two or 300,000. So you can figure that that's like a $20 million commitment. Wow. Sure. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot, until you figure out that toy companies, that's their advertising budget. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but they would spend that on just ads, commercials and stuff. You know, so it's like, it's it's a commitment, but not that big of a, for a toy company, it's not that, not that deep, deep of a pocket for them because sure. they, their, re, their return on investment is huge. Yeah. Playmates had a big part in the turtles, in the stake in the turtles. Yes being made yes did you ever deal with any of that stuff or no like you never that was removed from the cartoon day to day right yes okay yeah. like so you I'm, I'm guessing you just worked off like a style guide and whatever new characters there were and stuff yes cool. um uh wolf would provided us with you know all the turtles and all the turns and you know the the vehicles the turtle vans and stuff like that the blimp all that nate they would base it on the toys that they that playmates sent to the studio sure. they'd make the, the models based upon that and then we ran with the whatever they gave us like that the um so yeah i think the way turtles worked is like the first season was five episodes and the next one was like 13 
And then three and four were like, there's one season that's like 40 episodes. It's like, it went nuts season three and four. <laughs> I don't know. If, I, I, and that's, and that was the last time. I don't know if you remember anything about when Turtle Mania was striking. Like, did you get a lot more work from them at that point? Do you remember? Or? I remember doing a lot of work for them because they, yeah, they had a ton of work coming in. It's like, oh, good. I can, yeah. you know, I need, need to make some payments here on my house and stuff. So, <laughs> so no, I, I, the, the number back then, the, the magic number is 65. So you take 40 <laughs> and you add 15, whatever combination you want. And that's, that was a magic number for syndication back then. And so I'm not sure what, I know the 40 plus whatever numbers you were, yeah, I forget. It was like if you had thirteen, show went yeah. nuts at one point. Like I think overall, I think they ended up with they ran ten years, so I think it ended up with two hundred some odd episodes. Um, right. But like those three, season three and four is when it like explodes to like yeah. something like okay, we're just we're just gonna churn these out as much like as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Okay, so this season one was five episodes, two was thirteen. Season three was 47 episodes. Yeah. And then 41. And then it kind of went down from 20 and then down from there. But yeah. Just so, yeah, as long as you get to sit, once you get 65, you're you're good. So everything else is gravy. Sure. You know, the, the next number up from that is 65 times two, you know. Um, oh, okay. So 130. So yeah, I guess yeah. that I, they, they went, they did a lot. It's crazy how much, how many episodes they made. And then it yeah. kind of dragged on for a while. The last few seasons, it was like they're gonna make five episodes or eight episodes and stuff like that. And the art style changed a little bit. But you were you were deep in X Men at that point, so yeah, X Men. Yeah, in the nineties, that's when I really that's when I got my 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 attention was diverted to the X Men back in the nineties ninety uh ninety two. That's right. Yeah. I uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing you uh, last year for the oral history of the um. Night of the Sentinels, and it was great talking to you and Eric and everybody. It was just like super fascinating. I, I, I'm a bigger Turtles fan, yeah. but I also love uh, X Men cartoon was a huge part of my childhood as well. So I love that show. Yeah, you know, I, I did work on Turtles uh, when it went to New York. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You worked on the 2003 series. Yeah, that's where the, it was a series where the Turtles went through time or something. They met the Turtles from the previous, you know. They oh, met versions of you worked on the show and Turtles Forever. I, I was going to ask you about that. So yeah. Turtles Forever was the finale movie to the 2003 series. Right. Yeah. So I worked on that one, too. I remember doing that. And I remember working on an episode of the Turtles that was a homage to Jack Kirby. Where yes. Okay. Yeah. He, he had this magic pen with a little glowing stick. And he he they did a um, all of his characters would come to life and stuff. So I, I did the section... Um, Maybe it was the second half, but it's when it went to like Thor's Asgard and they're fighting all these other weird characters, stuff like that. So I'm a big Jack Kirby fan. So I was able to throw in, try and make it, make it like a Thor comic book, basically with turtles. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's based on the, uh, yeah. the original Donatello micro series that was about that. And they turned it straight into an episode, like verbatim. And it's, it's a very good one. Yeah. So and, I remember because uh, well, Jack Kirby was huge for the turtle for Eastman and Laird as well. Yeah. So that was fun. I remember I vividly remember that. And uh I remember working on oh the images I have right now is they had a uh 
God, they, yeah, I guess it was the Forever series where they're like, it was every character in the kitchen sink fighting. Oh, and yeah. it was like, a, 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 God, it was like crazy. Yeah, they even and brought they, in Mirage Turtles. They brought in a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I remember working on that and going, my God, who are these? They're characters I never drew. And I was like, you know, <laughs> call, call on them back, say, okay, what? I'm trying to figure out the choreography of these scenes. Like, what can this character, you know, what are the powers of this guy, this one, you know, so I could actually depict it correctly and accurately. And sometimes they got back to me. Sometimes they didn't. So I had to create generic fight scenes because some characters, I didn't know what they could do. Fly, go through walls, you know, right? Or just, <laughs> or just chip chop any, you know, it was a ton of people. Was it interesting going back to that, like, and having to do it, like, because the 2003 series is a totally different art style. Was it different for you? Like, do you remember, was there, like, well, they, a... well they gave me the section with the stuff, I, that it was the 80 stuff. They gave that section mm. to me so I could draw, because oh, cool. I knew that stuff, so they, they gave me just that part. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah that, that, that fans love Turtles Forever. That's, like, a huge soft spot for us. So. Yeah. And uh, yes. and then you did so you did a few of the uh, episodes of the 2003 series as well, like the Kirby one, and it says a few others, but I don't know. It says like a lot. Yeah, it, I I remember the Kirby vividly, and I I know I did some other ones, but I I don't know what. But I and I remember working on the the Forever one. And that's. Did you ever meet Jack Kirby? Oh yeah. What was he? he was like? the, oh man, he was like the best guy to talk to. He was always welcoming and. And nice. Um, he's basically like when he was alive, he was about 20 minutes from my house. I'd been there with I was at Kirby's house with his wife, Roz, and got to talk to him and look at his artwork and stuff. Um, really nice guy. I mean, it's like to meet your idol. Here's the guy that drew the books that, you know, uh, engorged my imagination and was like, wow, this is great. And I enjoyed it and, and the concept stuff. To actually meet Jack and meet his wife and see it, he's he gave me a couple of drawings, you know, that he drew for me. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, so you know, meeting Jack, working with Stan for about a dec for more than a decade, so I got to meet and work with my two idols, and who's and uh, I got a chance to uh, go to lunch and talked a lot to uh, Gil Kane, who was oh, wow. uh, yeah, was one of the designers on uh, Thundar. Yeah, when I I was a storyboard artist on Thundar, and uh, the other idol I I got to meet was at Marvel Productions. Uh, John Buscema came out to film um, how to draw Marvel, how to draw, yeah, how to draw Marvel characters the Marvel way or something like that. And um, so he was out for about a week and a half, and so you know we got I got a chance to meet him. Meet not just me, but. It was me, Rick Holberg, Will Minio. Uh, we were like, oh, Gaga. You know, here's John B. Summer. <laughs> you know, in our office every day. You could see him right down the, down the hallway, and we take him out to lunch almost every day just, just to be around him. And um, the fun thing is that he would, like, be – he's working on some – some. Uh, was working on the animation of, like, the uh, Spider-Man's Amazing Friend titles where Spider-Man's crawling this way, then he's crawling that way. Yeah. And some title cards. Um and he would draw stuff and then throw it away, you know. So I, you know, we'd oh. raid his trash can. <laughs> okay, I want that. No, you take this. I, 
<laughs> I, I it's so funny to me like we have a mutual friend on facebook i forget I, i'm forgetting the name at the moment but or there's a few of them do this like yeah i found this in the crash man of hanna barbera and this is beautiful stuff like it's so cool yeah that's something oh. one of the unfortunate things about a lot of these studios is that um they would t except for disney they would toss out some beautiful stuff because they um they didn't see that they didn't see the intrinsic value long-term value of holding on to it because they were they were the volume of work Hanna Barbera was putting out um, to, for storage the storage fees and stuff like that to store it and to catalog it they didn't see any value to it so you know they would have these unannounced dumpings Oof. into the trash cans and if you were if you were in if you were in the loop someone would give you a call saying they they're dumping today you know after they dump and go away everybody would dive into the trash cans <laughs> to, to get stuff you know you know it's uh, that's one of the unfortunate things it's almost like 20 years of stuff that got dumped at Hanna-Barbera um and stuff you know gorgeous artwork um you know same thing with Marvel same thing with Mar Marvel Productions is that um properties that they didn't own they didn't own Transformers they didn't own G.I. Joe sure. so licensed product they didn't keep it. They just tossed it. I love the turtles. Um, I, I just showed you my um, animation cells. They made like a, I don't know how much, like how many of them went in the trash. I'm sure a lot of them did, but they made like a little side market out of selling a lot of those, you know, for yeah. cheap, like 10 bucks of nothing. Um, yes. So now like they're, and I love that they are, they're easy to find. Like turtle cells are everywhere. And, yeah. and like, I, I wanted one of each turtle. And then I found one of B I love Bebop and Rock City. So I found a Bebop. Yeah. It was like the yeah. two of them, like a hand cart from the railroad tracks. That was really like, yeah. yeah. Um, but like they're easy to get, which I think is so cool for fans. Cause it's like, there's thousands and thousands of drawings every episode. Right. So like, yeah, it's, it's so cool to have like that because generally that so much of that stuff is just tossed away. So good for them for cashing in on another market that nobody else. Yeah. Did. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a smart thing. Yeah. If you have a, uh, a financial interest in it, then yeah, it makes sense for you to to, to hook onto it. I have a um, uh, I didn't get much when I left the X Men. I wasn't thinking forward, but like here, this is one. Oh, I love that Lady Deathstrike. Yeah, yeah. I'll include that why. piece. It's uh, you shared that with me for the uh, inverse piece, and I was like, oh, this yeah. is lovely. I didn't realize it was that huge. It's gigantic. Yeah, I it's really that. it's a long, long sell, and I need to put. <laughs> And the more I look at it, I should, I need to, you know, put it in a frame and stuff. Yeah. Because right now it's just sitting out, you know, on my desk. <laughs> I haven't done I anything. It. I also have a frame from Roger Rabbit. I'm in love with that stuff. Like, I just, I think yeah. it's great. Did you have any, uh, do you have anything from your turtle days at all? Uh, oh, well, I can't show it right now, but all of the original toys they're on push pins on the wall over there. Oh, cool. Uh, um, the original, uh, let's see. Um, let's see if I can see what, oh, I can't, uh, it's covered up, but like the original, um, April O'Neil, the original, um, uh, well, let me, let's see if I can grab one. Yeah. Let's, no, see. Yeah, that's cool. let's see if I, let's see if I can grab one of these off the wall.
Uh, like here's one from a while back. Oh yeah. You can see all the dust on it right here. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, a lot of what they did was they would give, provide the, the, uh, the, they will provide the uh, animation studio with uh, the toys, and so they're for free. So we oh, just uh, cool. we just had fun with it. Let's see if I can. Uh, I know I'm off camera. I'm trying to see if I can get that's some okay. of this we stuff. That's okay. We only use the audio anyway. So he just oh. showed me like a mode. <laughs> so it just makes Let's talking see. easier. But I, I only use the audio from these things. Okay, because it's like I'm looking at. Oh God, what's this guy? I'm saying? enjoying it. So that's <laughs> that's what I did this. That's the only reason I did the podcast for to begin with. I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> you have the original Shredder. Oh, cool. The, the Mouser, Baxter Stopman, Krang, Ralph the Space Cadet. What's his name? The Rat King, Ace Duck, the original April O'Neil over there. And let's see what's over here. Uh, I can't read the name up there. What does it look like? I can tell you who it is. Oh, hold on. Let me see. <laughs> I love this. But it looks like a turtle robot. Oh, Metalhead. Oh, okay. I can't read that far away. Is it it's silver and yellow? Yes. Yeah, it's Metalhead. Okay. And uh, what's this guy's name? Oh crap! My eyes are not good. Uh, okay. What does he look like? Hold on. Sure. Scum bug. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And something called uh. Oh god, he looks like a. Let me see if I can get it off. Scum bug's like a purple. It pack. is called a. Uh, Muck man and Joe eyeball. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, let's see. Yep, there, I got, there I've go. got every one of those things you're talking about I have behind me. Yeah, and it's ripped open, of course. Full of doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I got here. That's great. Do you now your storyboards themselves? Do they get returned to Murakami Wolf, or do you fax them and you keep them? What happened to them? Uh, what happened? Traditionally, what happened was that you do a storyboard. You make a copy for yourself. Sure. And then they get the originals. And that's how that's how the business was rolling back then. Oh, cool. So you rarely got to keep your originals. Makes sense. Uh, because wait, they wanted to always have the originals so they could make a good first copy. The the, the quality of the Xerox machines back then weren't sure. uh, wasn't always that good. So they wanted to have that was the best case scenario just they kept the originals. We got a copy for our records. And then, you know, that's the way the business was run back then. Uh, today, with digital, you don't have to worry about that sure. anymore. The, uh, But it's, I don't know, it's, since I, I feel like an old guy, it's like, I prefer the pencil and paper. I can draw the characters i can i can see you know i can draw the turtles i can feel the drawings i can feel the uh tactile feedback when you're drawing the characters and stuff sure and 
working when I had to switch over to digital, it was like drawing on glass. And it was hard? like, yeah, because it was like you never you didn't have the the, the you couldn't feel the texture of the paper because you're drawing on 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 glass, and also sometimes you would draw a line, and then half a second the line would catch up to the pencil. So it's kind of a delay until the uh, computers got faster and faster. Uh, it was like you had to draw slow for the for each so that you could get the drawing out, or you had to draw like several lines to get the image that you're looking for. I mean, nowadays that doesn't happen, but back in the uh, what would that be? Uh, 2010, 12, somewhere up in there. Uh, whenever they came out with uh, uh, Toon Boom technology, sure, that's that was when it started. Uh, the big switch over. That speed thing must be a huge thing because I, 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 do you know Ken Matroni? The name sound for me. I don't. I don't think. Okay, he's he's done a lot of stuff like a lot of Pixar and uh, like everything too, and he was Eternal co- uh, uh, a comic book artist as well. But he like. His big thing is just fast. Like he just is a really fast drawer. So I imagine having to slow down like that, you kind of have to relearn it a lot. Like how hard was yeah. the transition? Oh, it was uh, annoying. I can say very annoying. Uh, what I would do in the beginning, I would take, uh, I'd have to slow down, but also I took the nib of my stylus and I would, I'd run it with sandpaper like this to give the, so it would give. So when I draw, I could feel something when yeah. I'm drawing. Interesting. Uh, you don't have to do that anymore. The technology right now is like they have nibs that have that are that are made for tactile feedback when you move, and that delay I'm talking about doesn't exist today. Sure. But back yeah. when it was first starting, it was, and it was very annoying. And um, they didn't want you to use they wanted to use a vector based drawings, which meant what what that meant was that. Imagine drawing with a sharpie, trying to draw facial features. <laughs> it was oh, like sure. it was like not good. Where if you had a bit a bit mapped brush, uh, you could draw detail. You could get the eyes, the eyebrows, you know, the small stuff. But the technology was was still growing, and um, if you had a bit mapped storyboard. It was huge because it the tech the algorithms to make it smaller didn't exist yet. Sure. And if you didn't save your work, it would crash the crash the program. I had friends that I was working at um oh god was that play um was working on Randy Cunningham for Disney, and you had to be careful to save almost every five minutes save 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 because if you didn't do it, one person a couple of people lost their like half a day's work. Poof, oh my gone. god. And you have to start all over again, you know, from, you know, whatever, like you'd save it every day, but if you lost half a day of work, it's like you start, it's like you're starting a day all over again. Yeah. Um, uh, Titmouse, that was a company called Titmouse in Hollywood, uh, where I did the, uh, Randy Cunningham stuff. And, uh, yeah. So that was was the first show where you had to go digital. Uh, it was that was a show for me. Oh, okay. That was the first digital show. It was uh, okay. Randy Cunningham Ninth Grade Ninja for Titmouth, which was they were subcontracted for Disney. So I that was the too, first like, one. I know a lot of comic book artists like they preferred it when it was because like uh, you know a secondary 
income for them was selling their work. But now there's no, yes. that, right? There's no, there's no hard copy. Nope. Well, sometimes there is. In comic books, a lot, uh, some artists, what they do is they, they'll draw it and then just scan it at a high resolution yeah. and send it to the inker and he'll print it as a blue line. And then he'll, he'll ink the blue line. So there is a, an original somewhere out sure. there. But, you know, the stuff we grew up with, uh, you know, Jack Kirby would draw a pencil, would draw it, send it out to Joe Sennett, who would ink it, send it out, I'm sorry, send it to to the letterer first, uh, like uh, Artie Semek or Sam Rosen, then to the inker. And, you know, that's how, and those all only one original. Uh, nowadays, they they have the luxury of uh, draw it first, scan it, send it over here, ink it, then take the ink versions and scan it and send it to the colorist. So now it's all, yeah, it's all digital. And as long as you use a high enough resolution uh, for print, I think it's just 300 DPI. So it's, or less, I okay. think. You know, you spent so many years working with uh, with uh, Stan Lee. I'd love to hear, is he, how much was he like the guy that we think he is, like on, on the screen? <laughs> he, what I tell people is that uh, there's three Stan Lees. Okay. Uh and there's Spider-Man, there's Peter Parker, and J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Those are the three, those are the three guys that would come to work at any given moment. Um Peter Parker, if he came to work, Stanley, uh, he would be like, I'm talking to you, no problem. Just a regular person talking like this and everything. Um, and if he came to work as Spider-Man, he would be, he was on, it's like a camera was there. He's sure. on, he's selling the character and he's doing this and he's doing this and Spider-Man would do this and do that. Um, and so that, and I think for, for, uh, for me, I think that's the reason why he could write the newspaper strips of Spider-Man so well, because it was all, it's, it was him, sure. you know? And the third one was J. Jonah Jameson. And um, when he would come in and you'd see that type of bad mood was, he was in, Uh, you knew to stay away. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's Jano Jonah Jameson. Not in a good mood. We'll wait until Peter Parker comes back, you know. Was it a gamble? Like you never but knew which one was coming in? You, well, you could tell from the expression or the way he looked at you or didn't look at you. Sure. Okay. You know, all right. You know, something's going on. Okay. Well, I'll just go back to my room. Now, the nice thing about it is that um, from where I was working to his office, it was basically like two doors down. It was like that close that I could go see them and everything. Um, but back then they had no, you know, the idea of like, you know, a phone with a camera didn't sure. exist. So out of 11 years or no, 13 years, I only have two pictures. <laughs> oh That's it. man. Yeah. I, all that time. And it's like, well, you know, he's right there. And, and back then in order to take pictures, we were, you know, people, People were bringing a camera if it was a birthday, anniversary, it was a rap party. It was an event that you took pictures because you had to take it. You took it. You took your picture. Oh, yeah. You took it to a place to get it developed. I mean, basically, the process took about a week. And you never knew if you had got a good picture, you got a crappy picture, you're overexposed, underexposed, blah, 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 all that stuff. So you never, you know, it was something people only did for an event. Sure. Um, and so 
Unfortunately, I only have two pitches. <laughs> did they turn? Did, are are either of the two? Did they turn out all right? Oh yes, they did. That's Had a good. professional take it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, both of them were at the. Um, it was at the Spider Man It's Amazing Friends rap party when we finished oh, cool. the first season of of Amazing Friends, and so we had a a, a group picture. And then I had an individual picture with Stan. I love stories about Stan Lee. Like I, 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 I did a bunch of stories in a row for Inverse, including the X Men one, uh, where um, um, I'm forgetting her name now. She had some stereo. Uh, who, who, who ran X Men? Uh, huh? Xavier. What? What are you talking about? The comic book? The... Uh, I'm sorry. The X Men um, um, cartoon. It was her idea, basically. Um, the woman. Oh, Margaret Lash. Margaret, Margaret Lash. Lash, yeah, yeah. She had some stories about Stan Lee, which is fascinating. Um, I did the Hulk television series, and yes. uh, like I talked to the guy who was the director of that, a guy named uh, Kenny uh, uh, Ken something. It's, it's not coming to mind at the moment. Um, Kenny Thompson, I think. And he was telling stories about you know he was trying to make Hulk like a grounded character, so there's no super villains and all that. And Stan Lee was very much on board. And like in one of the early stories. Um, he sent Stan Lee this story about Hulk and he fights a bear, right? And then he right. hears back from Stan, like, oh, I love this. This is great, whatever. And he's like, but you should make it a robot bear. It's like, he's <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing about it being grounded. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. T- Stan would like it. One of the things that I remember Stan, um, he told me he told me um about writing like like what you described the the bear being a robot bear you know take it up to the next level was that uh he said that the one thing to think about is that you need in 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 these in writing comic books or basically you know action fiction this type of stuff is keep the ordinary ordinary and the extraordinary extraordinary Hmm. Meaning that um, if and this is what he described to me, he said, imagine a scene of like uh, Superman, you see Superman flying and he's, you know, using his heat rays to shoot at a robot. And you would write something like and the caption would not the caption, but the balloon would say, look, there's Superman he's using his heat vision on robot from Lith Luther or some junk like that, whatever it would say. Said so now flip it again, see the same scene. Superman's doing the same thing, but the people who are watching are going, holy shit, what the hell was that? Oh my God, what's that? You know, you know, that was his way of telling me, like, keep the ordinary, ordinary, and the fantastic, fantastic, you know, and that, when you, when you had that perspective, then it makes sense that, okay, if you have a robot bear, it's going to be like, whoa, what the hell is this? You know, keep it fantastic. So the Hulk is a fantastic character, so have him fight something that's on that level, but always keep keep the uh keep some characters grounded in reality if like they don't see this every day they're gonna have like a reaction to it and i think a lot of scripts and a lot of tv shows when they can remember that dichotomy to remember that not everybody sees you know uh uh, you know the the millennium falcon flying around or something like that that you got to keep keep stuff grounded in in the, the ordinary and the fantastic and it gives you, it makes it makes it more grounded, like you just yeah. said, grounded from the other guy. Um, 
but it keeps it keeps it more more fun more interesting that way it's so interesting to hear that stuff like i i know like i did a a piece not long ago i was like i was looking at this x-men drawing i think it was the one jim lee did for x-men number one um and it was like i was like you know there are like six characters here with mutton chops why do so many Marvel characters <laughs> have mutton chops during this period in time? So I was trying to look into this. And it's like, well, with comic books especially, like they tend to kind of overcorrect for like making characters stand out. So that's why you have a lot of characters with eye patches and mutton chops and crazy hair and stuff like this. Right. You know who right. they are across several different artists, but it's uh, yeah. just interesting to me to hear. So. Yeah, no, it makes sense that you you want to give your you want to give give characters an ID so they don't they're instantly recognizable. Obviously, yeah. with Cyclops with the visor, picks it off real, really fast. But yeah, all the things you can add, like um, you know, Bishop has character black character Bishop's got this hair, yeah, it's all curly and stuff like that. Um, and he stands out, and he's got obviously you got the M tattoo on his yeah. face, but or the, the branding, whatever, yeah. But he was originally designed to be a Filipino character. I didn't he know was that. Not, yeah, he was originally uh, it was a Filipino artist. I can't recall his name, but he's the guy who actually created the character. And then Marvel convinced him to make it into a black character. But he kept all the original designs and just changed, you know, the nose and stuff to make it fatter and stuff like that. But oh, interesting. He was originally it was originally a, a Filipino superhero. Well, Going you know, to be the change. That's super interesting. Sorry? Do you know why they made the change? They asked him, they wanted to make a black superhero. They wanted okay. to make him a black superhero. So they asked him if he would alter the designs. Now, I unfortunately, I, I remember reading the article. I mean, you could, if you Google it, you can find it. But um, as to why, I'm not sure. But that's that was the genesis of, of that character. And it's funny, like X-Men, which is like, you know, over time, certainly became a message about diversity. Aside from Storm, there weren't a lot of X-Men of color for a while. Right, right. Like not, I mean, all new, all different when they kind of branched out with Sunfire and all that. But even then, yeah, it took a while. Yeah. And so, uh, and I, I think the fact that we, when we were able to do the TV show and add, you know, a, a Chinese-American girl to the group, yeah. it added to the diversity. Um, um. And it, it helped. I mean, I've, I've, I've met several um, Asian girls at conventions that were really happy to see the character themselves in the show, you know, as part of the adventure and the representation, uh, you know, matters. And for them, especially for young, young girls seeing themselves in the show um, and what, you know, like Jubilee, and and Bishop and rest of them, the stories don't depend on the ethnicity. Oh, boy, I'm going to mispronounce that word. It doesn't <laughs> depend on ethnicity or whatever how you ever pronounce it. Yeah, because the character, all of our stories are based on the character, yeah, who they were and how they at interacted, and whenever, you know, it was never based on you know what they were. It was like who they were. You know, let me ask you. And this is going off topic a bit, but like with X Men fans. <laughs> How many, in comparison to other shows you've worked on, because you worked on everything, did X Men have more female fans than other shows? Because like there was like we talked about this when we did that story was that kind of by accident half the characters were female, half the characters were male, and women 
I mean, Turtles is a great example of it, right? But like, there right. are very few women in any show at that time for a boys' show, quote unquote, right? Right. So like, are there right. more female X Men fans than other franchises you've worked on? I'd have to say, anecdotally, uh, yeah, it seemed to be even. Okay. Uh, I I be that's an interesting question. I've had when I interacted with people at my desk, I'm at my desk when I go to conventions, it's been the majority, I'd say like 60% male. Sure. Yeah. But a good chunk of it is women who really like the show, like seeing uh, the women just as powerful as the men, that kind of stuff. I, I, I guess I'd have to say it's probably a little bit more men, but there's a lot of women who love rogue. They love storm, you know, and, and Jubilee. And Jean Grey, once Jean Grey got upgraded to the Phoenix, you know, she could kick everybody's butt. Oh, you know, yeah. Everybody I mean, loved her. And in contrast to Turtles, G.I. Joe, Transformers, X-Men had awesome women on the show, whereas most yeah. other shows didn't, frankly, you know? No. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only other ones I can remember at the time was uh, would be Wonder Woman back in uh, yeah. Super Friends or stuff like that. And that's it. They only had one. And they didn't showcase the other ones until they until they until Warner Brothers did uh Justice League, where you had Wonder Woman, you had um um oh god, I just lost her name. There were a couple Hawk Hawk Girl, um the black girl that his appendant, she gets the animal powers. I forgot her name now. Mm-hmm. Which Justice League do you mean? You, do you mean the Bruce Tim one or yeah, the Bruce Tim one, Justice League Unlimited, I think. But anyway, yeah, we had yeah the X Men had more women. It was an equal dose of men and women. Yeah, yeah. So we got a chance to do that. Um, when I was working on Turtles, you know, if if I could, I I tried to give April stuff more stuff to do if the if the script allowed it. Yeah, you know, let her do some stuff. But you know, it, we were constricted by you know whatever the script was. We could only go so far. But you know, when I could, I I'd, I'd add stuff. I mean. I, when I was doing it on G.I. Joe, uh, the women were, the ones I remember were uh, Scarlet, um, Lady J, um, Cover Girl, and uh, well, somebody else I can't remember. Um, anyway, whenever I could, when I was doing fight sequence montages and stuff, i try and put them in the foreground just so you know, give them give them some screen time, basically. Yeah, sure. Yeah, know? I always I always preferred when April is not just a woman to be kidnapped. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she does yeah. that right. She can be kidnapped as much as you want, but they've done some cool stuff in there. Like it seems like more and more every new version of Turtles, which there are plenty, she's got more ninja more powers. St- she's now a woman of color. Like it, they've done a lot of cool stuff moving her character forward, where she's no longer. The damsel in distress. In the distress, yes. <laughs> There's plenty of that. Which, yeah, that you know, that's times back in the '80s. You know, that's yeah. what, what, what the stories were, and uh, you know, you, you, uh, it's it's what it was. Uh, what oh, can yeah, I say? Yeah. That's it. And it's like you weren't even aware of it, right? But like that's that's why I was wondering about X Men because X Men, just by the nature of adapting the work, just like right. you know, you guys were so close to the comics that you just picked a hell of a, a roster of characters half of which happen to be women and it's just like i'm just curious if, how it if it shaped up any differently so 
Yeah, no, it, but the X-Men, I think, um, we lost Marvel, uh, New York wanted us to showcase two new characters that they had just introduced the year before. One was a character named Gambit. Hmm. Another one was Jubilee. So out of the group, we, we lost Colossus and we lost Nightcrawler for those two <gasps> characters to come in. Oh man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm rethinking this because Nightcrawler is my favorite X Men. So, <laughs> yeah, so he had the we had the jettison him, but by yeah. you know uh, Jubilee, it was originally going to be uh oh god Shadow Cat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Shadow Cat, sure, Kitty Pride. Yeah. yeah, so she went out and the Jubilee came in. And, I didn't uh, talk about this too because you were also on Pride of the X Men. There was a desire to separate it from Pride, so a new yes. character makes sense that's not Kitty yeah. Pride. So correct. Yeah, so that's why she never. I thought we were gonna bring her back, maybe season five or something. At least maybe show up, show her up as, uh, uh, you know, like we we had an episode of Colossus, maybe two or three of them, and we mm -hmm. had one episode of Nightcrawler. So we we'd introduce the characters and you know give them their one episode. She was one I thought that we were gonna get around to, but we never did. Mm. So, um, but the nice thing about Jubilee is that she was. When we did the Night of the Sentinels, she was a good entry point character. Oh yeah. In that, in that, if you didn't know anything about the X Men, if you were like, if you were Jubilee, and all this crazy stuff was happening to you, as as she got, let's see, she went to the mall. She got chased by a robot. Got knocked out by a robot. She wakes up in the mansion. It's like, where the hell am I? And she and as 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 what they are are explained to her so as the audience watching this who have no idea what the hell's an x-men and so she was a great entry point character for the from that point of view of uh bringing an audience who did not know marvel comics into that mythology well i mean like and, I think uh, people don't realize it now but like you know we're in 2023 where superheroes are everywhere all over the place but in in 92 when that started like very few people knew who the hell the X-Men were. So, like, we were all Jubilee coming into that Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think part of that, uh, that's probably why the one reason, there are other reasons, that's one of the reasons why the pilot probably didn't sell, is that the executive had no idea what the hell's a mutant, why these people don't get along, um, who's this Magneto takeover, you know, it's like there were so many questions that were, the zeitgeist was just wrong. And we only had three places to sell it. CBS, ABC, and NBC. And so, at those three... Yeah. yeah. We talked about this by the X-Men, but, like, it's it. there's a lot of good stuff going on, especially the art, but there's too much happening in that pilot to really understand what's going on. Like, yeah. all at once, it's like, okay, you learn who Magneto is, and his five people, and who's this giant fat guy, and all this other stuff. And then, like, yeah. all the heroes are cool. Like, there's some cool stuff going on. The artwork's great. Because the artwork isn't that isn't a world apart from what would become X-Men the Animated Series. Right. Yeah. But X Men animated series took their time. Magneto doesn't come till later. Like it was so. It was very smart the way it was done. Yeah, and just so you know, uh, when it was the three of us, Will Minio, Rick Holberg, and myself, when we were when we initially wanted to do the Pride of the X Men, we wanted them to take on the Sentinels. That was our story. Yeah. But the people who had the money, yep, wanted to sell plastic. Mm -hmm. So the bad guys had to be like, you know, a roster of characters that they could sell and so that's where you know the story got diverted 
right at the beginning. Yeah. Because we wanted, if we had just robots versus the X Men, you'd have a more linear, less, uh, I mean, more understandable storyline. And that, you know, we got diverted from that. And that's why you had the roster. You had the, you know, good guys and bad guys, you know, the, the Rams versus another football team, basically. Basically, yeah. And um, with the 92 version, we we're able to put a story around Jubilee, basically, and introducing yeah. the world to the X-Men that way. And it worked out so much better, you know. It was so interesting to hear because I, I, I talked to you, Eric Lewald, um, um, uh, Mark Edward Edens, uh, all those guys for that oral history. And um, like, A, how important to the story Jubilee was and like the reason why you don't see Magneto in the first episode, first two episodes, right? Is because like right. everybody understands what big giant robots are bad, right? Like, right. <laughs> you had all these yeah. characters, you had eight and eight or 10 X-Men is a lot of X-Men to learn in a short period of time. Like, yeah. but you introduce all these characters, you can meet their due, you give them a leech a little bit of line. They all, you all understand who they are. And then they have to fight some big robots. We don't need to learn who those robots are. They're bad. Their eyes low red. Let's cut them up. <laughs> you need to know about yes. them. And it's so smart. Because right. then they get the, time, the characters that you like I like uh, the characters that you you um needed to get to know you did like I when I did that piece I was like I needed to talk to um the actress who played Jubilee the name's escaping me at the moment I feel like really bad um I talked to her I talked to uh a Cal Dodd who played um Wolverine and because I I love Beast I indulged myself and talked to um George Buza um, right and like it was just interesting like like how these characters all got their due just in that one up ep- really even though it's a two-part intro even just in the one part they all got a little piece of the pie right really like smartly done and the idea of jam packing with the brotherhood of mutants would have been a mistake so yeah we um luckily we it was one of those few shows that myself and the writers were all on the same page as to what we wanted to do and they had, they agreed with us and we agreed with them that um keeping the roster down because the x-men has it, it's huge yeah but keeping the roster down to something we only had like 23 minutes to to do a story and you only have so much time to give each character their their introduction and and explore their who they are that cutting calling the the herd to a to a degree um work better for introducing the character and also like if I remember right, uh, the Beast was not supposed to be part of the group. Neither was Jean Grey yeah. when they were writing it. But they found Jean Grey. She was like the an essential character you need between Xavier and, and Cyclops and the other characters. And But the writers love Beast, and they love what they did with him. So they they introduced him, and then they put him in jail for the first season just so you could you could go back have little snippets in each episode of like the beast, you know, trying to use work through the system to show that he was, he's not guilty. Um, and then there, I think there's a scene the writers wrote where I think it's Gambit and maybe rogue, maybe rogue. Somebody was, there are a couple of characters that were in the jail and they were visiting him and uh, Gambit's getting all, you know, nervous, claustrophobic, or whatever, because he's in a jail. He doesn't like jails. 
and he's getting ready to take his powers and blow the jail open. And he goes, no, no, no. So Beast walks over to, to the bars and goes, Whoop, like this. Gambit goes out and he goes, Whoop, like this. And with that one scene, you you can see he could leave anytime he wants to. Yeah. They're not keeping him confined, but he wants, he's trying to uh, use work through the system the way it's set up. But that, that, that one scene explains a lot about, and that, that pulling of the bars wasn't part of the script. I added oh, that wow. part. So, oh, that's yeah, cool. so that, yeah. So that people, without an explanation, you know, you didn't need words. You could just see it and it explains everything. That's, I mean, that's one of the most, like I said, the bees, uh, X-Men, um, Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Man and Beast is a very close second. He's easily my favorite character in that cartoon. And like that, that scene specifically sticks out to me as well as him in the courtroom and stuff like that. Like he's a, fascinating character in that show he's really great yeah yeah no, but real... Port was the name of the actress who played jubilee yes 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 that's her name yes let and, me ask uh, you i didn't mean to keep you this long but i wanted to ask you um which which group of mutants are you more partial to the x-men or the turtles it's okay I think <laughs> I... <laughs> well the turtles were my first one i mean the turtles that came they they came first okay um <laughs> as as a, as the animated show the turtles i have to give it to it but you know i as a kid, I grew up on the X-Men when I was in elementary school. So it's kind of a toss-up. You know, it's like I have I, I know the X-Men since I was in the what fourth grade, I guess. And um, but the Turtles as a professional was the first that was a, my first mutant show was the Turtles. Cool. That was a lot of fun, you know. Um it was a lot of fun to try and, you know, take take these characters, have some fun with it. Um and they gave it like I said, it gave us free reign to to be creative and it's like uh, it was it was I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Have you ever talked to Elliot Darrow from, um, uh, uh Wolf? No, I should. What's the what's, what's the name? Elliot Darrow. I'll have to reach out. I can, yeah, I can reach out to him Please, for you, yeah. and then have him contact you, because he he would have a lot more intimate knowledge, because he worked there, yeah, twenty four seven. So he would he could tell you a lot about the show oh my gosh i would love to talk to them that that that, that, that sounds great i would please like anything i can i'll make that work because I, I the whole like i the whole reason i did this podcast was i just wanted an excuse to reach out to guys like you anybody who did any turtle anything if you if you were on <laughs> like from the weird musical tour to the cartoons like comic book artists i kind of just love to talk to anybody in that that vine so that's that's great thank you yeah i i can yeah i'll, I'll give you guys an intro and then you could take it from there Oh, fantastic. You know, my last question for you is, who's your favorite turtle? Uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, the hothead, I guess, Raphael. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, he would, uh, yeah. I like the other characters, too. I mean, Michelangelo, and it, it's, it's kind of hard to. Sure. Everybody had their own little shtick, you know, you know. Uh, but, you know, when he. The hothead, you know, it's like it's like Wolverine, you know, the hothead, you know, that's fun to fun guy to get to get into. That's um, but the, the because their personalities were so distinctive, it was very it was a lot of fun to um, depict the body language, attitude. Yeah. Um, once you know, once once you know the personalities involved, it was that made the uh, storytelling a lot more easier. Because you you would 
you know, Michelangelo wouldn't have the same body pose as a Raphael. Yeah. You know, it, 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 everything worked out just fine that way. I think that's why they were so successful is like every, because uh, there was four, like there was very, like they, they each occupied their own area. So uh, kids in the audience could see themselves in one of them. Like I was yes. always a Donatello guy, always. Uh-huh. Like so, I like I you know was a nerd and all that. So like that made sense. But, like I everybody could see something in one of the turtles, which I think is why they did so well. So yeah, and it yeah, and having those those distinctive personalities. Yeah, you could as a kid, you could like you're saying, you could identify with one personality over over or another, or or you know maybe one character acted like one of your friends. Oh yeah. My friend, yeah. yeah, that's a Raphael over there, and that's a Donatello over there. <laughs> that kind of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> Larry, so. this is fantastic. I really appreciate talking to you. This is a huge pleasure. Oh, same here, man. Take care. Take care. Michelangelo is a party dude. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.